Greetings, troubled listeners. Welcome back to the Troubled Men podcast. I am Renee Coleman, sitting once again in Snake and Jake's Christmas Club Lounge, the heart of the Clempire, with my co-host, the original troubled man for troubled times, and future mayor of New Orleans, Mr. Manny Chevrolet. Welcome, Manny. Hey, man. What's going on? Not too much. You like that? Well, yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's always the same, but there's always a little different tone or inflection. Right, right, nice. right. Yeah, I never know what, how I'm going to yeah. do it. You know? I, never, I, uh, I just like uh, the heart of the Clempire. <laughs> you know, I, I kind of dig that. Sure, it's, sure. It's, well, it's, it's, it's a little bit obscure for our listening audience, yeah, but you know, know. Yeah. for those who don't know, the Clempire is the Dave Clements empire, yeah. you know, which, which is primarily centered on Oak Street here, this block of Oak Street. But it, it has some tentacles reaching into oh, yeah, other, parts the, other parts of the other parts of the uh, con- oh, the, yeah. the city, possibly beyond the uh, parish line. Yeah. Oh, he's got he's got it. He's got it all. <laughs> the man. tentacles are long. Yeah, he's got everything <laughs> growing all around this hood, especially this neighborhood. Right. 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 And he's a good guy. We uh, all oh, yeah. like him. Oh yeah. It goes way he, back. Yeah. Uh, he and our guest go way back. Oh. So oh, you know that's well. the thing about Dave Clements. He's uh. Yeah, he knows everyone. Oh yeah. yeah he, he's, so he's, so is Cranston a part of this uh, this empire as well? He is not. Cranston is. Uh, I mean, he's 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 empire. He's Clempire adjacent because you know being uh, being yeah. Dave's brother. But uh, but look, I played a gig on Bourbon Street with Cranston a couple of weeks ago. So Cranston, Cranny's still out there. Still plays great, man. <laughs> Every gig he's on, he sounds sounds fucking fantastic. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, he's he's, yeah. he's 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 hanging in there, doing good. Yeah, you don't want him part of the Clempire, Cranston. Yeah. Because he likes his porn. <laughs> he likes his porn, and I don't think uh, don't Dave, we all? You know, don't I don't all. think Dave digs that huh. porn. I huh. don't know. I have you no know. idea. Yeah, we all like our porn, and sure, you know, every everything in yeah. its its place. You know, yeah, there's a, there's a time for everything, there's a season for everything, as they say. I the think uh, Cranston's into bukkake. Well, I don't yeah, know. About I think that, he is. But, uh, I, I have no idea about that. Okay, I haven't I'm, seen him in so long. Yeah, well, you know, he's, and he's, he he's like he's like eighty five now, isn't he? Uh, no, no. Uh, no, he's no. not. He's just a little bit older than Dave. Oh, okay. In fact, so that's they're, 82 then, right? Uh, well, I don't know. I, I, I don't think know. it's a little bit lower than that. Oh, uh, okay. Somewhere there, in the yeah. 70s or so. Uh, so, uh, what's been going on, Manny? Well, I saw the most insane thing tonight, in fact. Hmm. You know, I, I was watching my shows, The right. Jeopardy and The Wheel. The Wheel, uh-huh. And I love The Wheel. I think I might go on. I'm actually uh, trying out for the wheel oh, on nice. this coming uh, uh, December. The wheel of torture. Uh, well, it's uh, yeah. Well, it is for some people because it's so easy for people at home. They say to just solve these puzzles. Uh-huh. But once you're there under the lights, sure, the it's live all, audience, it's all different. Yeah, you're like Cindy Brady in that episode from the Brady Bunch <laughs> where she just froze. She pulled a McConnell. Yeah, she just froze. <laughs> you know. But anyway, I thought McConnell. this. Yeah. Well, that's a new dance. Yeah. New dance. Sweeping the nation. Have you heard about the, na- the McConnell? <laughs> um, but I'm watching my uh, the wheel, mm-hmm. and Pat. This is his last season. His right. Last year, he's leaving. Um, but it's military week. Okay. And uh, they have all these veterans and ex-veterans on the show, and he goes around the three contestants. I, I I don't know. Maybe it's just me. I don't. I have no idea. But the third contestant was named OJ, 
Okay. He actually hit his name to, and it was just O J. It wasn't like O J A Y. It was O J. And like uh, with periods? No, no. It was like it was Orenthal just, uh, James. Yeah, yeah Orenthal yeah, yeah. James Simpson. Uh-huh. You know, uh, uh, who seems to be doing all right. He's these doing days. great, yeah, man. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, he's doing okay. You know, uh, I, I think, think the public he's is safe. A yeah. gun shop. Or oh, okay. Like that well, in Vegas. He, I have no idea. He's in Vegas. I thought he's down in Florida. Well, okay, he's. Who knows? I think I don't know. He, I, uh, it's bi-coastal. Yeah. Either way, but I mean, why would you want to keep that name, uh, OJ? You know, you just people are just going to say, hey, oh, hey, you they'll, know, they'll remember you. Yeah, they'll remember. I guess. I, I guess <laughs> they'll remember. You. The glove fits. There yeah, you go. Yeah, there the you go. The glove fits. Yeah, but and this guy named OJ who was a contestant on Wheel, he looked like he was from India. Okay. You know, and I thought maybe it might be OJ AIY or mm. OJ AY, but he said, "No, my name is OJ. OJ." Oh, maybe yeah. he's not familiar with uh, uh, with the yeah, juice, maybe, you know. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> he missed yeah. out on that chapter. Yeah, so he's a more recent immigrant. Maybe he perhaps. just moved here. Yeah, he right. Yeah, just yeah, yeah. Moved here and uh, just thought it had a ring yeah, to it, you know. You know? Um, I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but I just thought that was a little funny. At, well, you know, uh, speaking of your shows, I saw there was a, a big dust up about one of the uh, the recent contestants on this this uh, Jeopardy tournament. Apparently, people thought he was a little bit too self congratulatory. Did you see that episode that I'm talking about? Uh, oh yeah, yeah. They've been having this tournament that's been kind of weird, and I think it's because of the writer strike and all that. They had this tournament the last month where they invited uh, people who never won but finished in second. Okay. They finished second place, so uh, they're getting the last. It's called it like the last chance tournament. Right. Last chance to get into the big tournament, and I think I know what you're talking about. Um, I don't know. I didn't think. I didn't think that contestant was that bad. But I yeah, mean, I was wondering because I, I read the, the the details about it, and I thought, man, these people seem like they're making a lot of a big deal out of yeah, nothing. Well, you know, they just kind of clapped for himself now. or that's something. That's the thing. That's the thing now with um, uh, um, especially that th- those are the two most popular game shows on TV right now: Jeopardy uh, and uh, uh, Wheel of Fortune, and then um, Price is Right. Is right there. And okay. That's a morning show. Right. Well, those are the top three, and so they're constantly, you know, battling each other. And I think what happens is that I think they're just people they pay to put down the other shows or something, or find something wrong. Uh, okay, maybe some bots or yeah, something you know, out there. it's just yeah, like yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. oh, this because I remember there was in Jeopardy a few years back. I think it was uh, right before the pandemic. There was this champion, this woman. She was from Georgia or something like that. She she was fucking amazing, mm. but she had a weird way of uh, of asking. You know, she would she had this like inflection that was so strange that it just went on the Twitter thing and the yeah. Instagram thing, and people were just railing her. And I thought it was kind of cute, uh-huh. but uh, she would say like uh, it was like uh, and this was when Alex was still alive. Mm-hmm. She'd say like English for two hundred. <laughs> you know, history for 800. She had this weird inflection. <laughs> right, right, right. And everyone was either like fucking, what do they call it, trolling her about uh-huh. it or, or congrats, you know, but I thought it was really cool. Uh-huh. So, you, I mean, it's just today's You can't world. win. Everybody's yeah, a critic. Yeah, right? yeah, you yeah, can't yeah, win. Yeah, you yeah, just yeah. can't win. But uh, um, I hear she's, she's a realtor in, in Atlanta and she's doing very well. Okay. You know, no, uh, but anyway, so you can't win. Even on, you know, I've been trying to win on game shows and I can't win. So, 
Oh, well. Anyway. Better luck next time. It'll work out for the best. Why didn't Match Game make it through? Well, that was popular for a while with uh, Gene Rayburn. Right, Match Game. Um, And he had that long stick mic like Bob Barker did. I love that microphone. Yeah. 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 I well, bet yeah, they did. You know, uh, <laughs> no. well, well, you know, Match Game. I, I, it was, it was so personality driven. You know, it was driven by the. Well, had, that's a lot of the game like, shows like, in the seventies uh, and eighties. Like those it was stars, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I can't it really even wasn't think of about the money. No one was watching the money. Right, and where, the, the writers, they'd have some writers write where, jokes for them. Uh, where on Jeopardy, they're watching the money. Like J.P. Morgan. She, yeah, was, she, was, uh, Morgan. she was a she perennial was guest. Yeah. Uh, on Paul there. Lynn. Paul Lynn. Uh, uh, um, there was a lots of those people. Uh, yeah, what was that fucking freak name? Oh, <laughs> God damn it. Oh, God. Ah, uh, oh, I'll remember his name. Yeah, I know who you're talking about. Yeah. The guy runs and throws confetti. Well, that, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, that was, um, uh, um, yeah, that guy. But there was another Rip guy. Taylor? Rip Taylor. Rip Taylor. Rip Taylor. Rip Taylor. Oh, he was confetti. the best. Paul, Paul Lynn. And there was... Uh, George uh, George Goebel, mm-hmm. he was a he was a lower left square. Oh yeah, on, on yeah. Uh, Hollywood Square. Yeah, sure. Hollywood, Hollywood Squares. That's another one that was that was a good one. I, I think that still runs nowadays, huh? I don't uh, know. Maybe well, there's not. a game show network. We have a game show okay. network where they yeah, show all these classic. I don't game have shows. cable anymore. So they, have, they, they have all these classic game shows that you can watch the reruns and uh, right. and before. Remember that show Concentration? Mm, that's where an old one. You yeah, would yeah. say like. B2, and they would flip a, a card, and it would show, like, you know, a piece of the puzzle. Okay. And if you couldn't solve it, it would flip back. But you had to remember where yeah, that was. Yeah, you had was. to remember right, where right, it was. Right, right. And then it was all about, and then it would be like a, a saying or a phrase. Kind of like that, that, that uh, game they used to advertise on TV, Husker Do. do means, do you remember? Right, remember yeah, that? Right, something right, like that, right, yeah. yeah. Anyway, uh, uh, I, okay. I, if I had more time, I'd watch more TV. Yeah, I, sure. <laughs> I don't have that sure, much sure, time. Sure. I just well, have a uh, couple hours a day. Right, right, right. Well, yeah. at least you're, you're devoting it to something worthwhile. Yeah. Charles, like, Nelson uh, Charles Nelson Riley. Charles Nelson Riley. That's the name sure, I was yeah, thinking yeah, yeah, of. Yeah, yeah. No, he was, he was on Match Game. He, he was, was on, on Hollywood Squares. Yes. He was on Password. Yep. He was on You Bet Your Life. He was always hilarious. He was on too. Drugs. Oh, he was on yeah. a lot of drugs. I bet he was. He, you was, know. he was wound up pretty tight. Yeah, man. and he would go. <laughs> he did that. <laughs> what thing. about Joanne Worley? Joanne Worley was yeah. the opposite. Of, I mean, she was the female Charles Nelson Riley. Exactly. Yeah, and she was on Laughing though. Yes, she yeah. was on Laughing. Right, right. But then she she made the uh, the game show rounds. As yeah, well, well yeah. that's what they did. That you know, the right. sitcom stars, because you know today, like we're t- talking about uh, uh, TV stars. That guy Matthew Perry died. Mm-hmm. He was that show Friends, and he was making that show went off the air like 15 years ago. He's still making twenty million a year off wow. residuals. Wow! But those sitcom stars in the sixties and seventies, like Joanne Worley, like Paul Lynn, they weren't making that. Right? They got no residuals. They, they yeah. didn't get any residuals. So the game show circuit, or maybe they got a love boat. You yeah. know, yeah, go doing dinner theater, dinner or theater. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. Uh, so but you know, so it's like the money was way different now, right. you know, then than it right, is right. now. I mean. I'm still getting paid money like every like few months from a movie I did right before Katrina. 
But What's I'm, that? It's, it's like uh, a Glory Road. Glory Road. Oh, where yeah. I had like four yeah. lines. You I were had great four lines. Uh, tacos? Uh, yeah. Bolitos? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> eh, eh, eh. I, I just got a check about six months ago for like eight bucks. Oh, okay. That bought me a cup of coffee and a donut. Right, right, right. You know, but see... Those guys back then weren't getting, you know. They didn't even get the coffee and the donut. They didn't yeah. get anything unless they, you know, went to um, the Hollywood uh, clinic in, on Fountain Boulevard in Hollywood, you know. Anyway. Okay. Well, uh, so we had a week off uh, yes. during, during that time. It was Halloween last week, Manny. Mm-hmm. So I was, uh, did you uh, uh, do your hand out your your traditional uh, uh, fuck you thing as uh, <laughs> candy colored fentanyl and uh, <laughs> apples with razor blades? Well, you know how'd the, that go? The, the the you know our daughters moved out, so she's not around. And the wife and I were thinking that, uh, you know, it's been a couple Halloweens after this whole shutdown and all that stuff. We thought it would be crowded and big, but we bought two bags of candy, cost us like 28 bucks. And we had three trick-or-treaters come really? to our house. Just three trick-or-treaters. Yeah. And one of them was a little girl, must have been two years old. <laughs> and the other two were like two high school boys <laughs> who were dressed like <laughs> mass murderers. But they had their parents with them, which didn't, I, I didn't understand that at all. So, <laughs> just to make it seem more legit. I, I, yeah, I yeah. guess. Maybe they're just retarded kids them. or something. I have I no know, idea. You know what they do up north where I am is they have these trunker treats where hmm. all the parents gather in like a parking lot somewhere and open up their trunk and they have the candy in there and the kids come. And, but they don't even do it on Halloween. It's like... It's every week. Weird. No, no. It's <laughs> no. like the week before or something. Oh, okay. But, I thought yeah. it was a way of kidnapping children. Yeah. No? It could be. It sounds a little dicey. Yeah. <laughs> Open up your now, trunk in the parking lot. Yeah. Where, are you, where are you? Canada? Rhode Island. Oh, Rhode Island. Okay. Well, they're, uh, I think they're way, they're way different out there. They're way ahead out there, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Uh, are they? Maybe I don't they, know. Maybe they I don't, don't know have, about that. They don't have walkable neighborhoods. I don't know. It's just safer. It's more contained. They can, uh, they can uh, yeah. It's, That's why they put them in the trunk. It's more <laughs> contained, right? Yes. <laughs> exactly. Well, I mean, Rhode Island, I mean, those, it's like huge, big houses and stuff. It's like one house is a whole block. It's like these kids can't walk that. You know, You're thinking about Newport. That's that's oh, okay. not right, right, right. I mean, right, right. that is Rhode Island, but not Rhode Island. Okay, because uh, I spent uh, half an hour in Rhode Island once, just driving through it. Well, that's how long it takes to yeah. drive through it. Yeah, exactly. Good time. So, how are you in Rhode Island? Is that where you're from? Well, no, I'm from right here. We'll get we'll get into uh, all okay. that uh, yeah. when, when uh, we introduce the guests. But a couple of other things. Do you have more stuff you want to get to? Because we should well, get go to. Go ahead. Go ahead with your. Well, thing. I was going to say I saw the uh, the the new sheriff of Orleans Parish. You know who runs Emo or- Phillips? Uh, yeah. no, no, not Emo. Phillips. No, that's 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 the uh, the the, the police. Chief. The yeah, uh, Kirkpatrick. I think her name is poli- chief of police. No, this is uh, uh, Ms. Hudson, who was the former yeah. uh, inspector general. And and then she unseated Marlon Guzman uh, as sheriff, and I saw her appearing before the city council yesterday. Oh, really? And you know, it's now I don't know that that position must have a certain 
uh, I don't know what it is, but she's already, you know, uh, she was the, uh, the, as I say, the watchdog of the sheriff's office. And yeah. then she gets in and there, she, her tail's in the crack about uh, $18,000 they spent on right. uh, hotel rooms during Mardi Gras that they didn't, most of them they didn't even use. But so they were questioning her about that and all. But, uh, and, and she was, they were, you know, talking about the conditions in the jail, she's saying it's a much more violent place than it was a few years ago. And it reminded her that she said, look, at some point soon, I'm going to come back to y'all for more money because the prisoners are currently, so we have this new prison, Orleans Parish Prison, that they just Uh, built, finished within the last five years or something, Uh totally new facility. Uh Uh, Now, it was built in a way where the prisoners are now dismantling it and and there's some kind of feature with like pieces of metal that they can easily take apart that they're making weapons out of. Shivs. <laughs> shivs. Yes, they're called shivs. Yeah, um, shanks sometimes. But uh, yeah, apparently they're they're gonna have to spend a lot of money to retrofit this building to to uh, uh, to mitigate this. Well, you know, it <laughs> was. The money it was not her. She didn't. She didn't. It was Gusman's it was, jail. Yeah, yeah. She Gusman didn't. She didn't oversee money. it. No, yeah, I'm not he blaming her mo- for that. He he got the money, and he was such a fucking asshole, <laughs> Gusman. What a fucking asshole. Well, whoever designed that building, well, must yeah. not have had much experience designing well, prisons. It was probably his son who was <laughs> using Legos as a diagram or something like I that. I don't know. You but know. I, I had to hey. laugh when when she said, "Oh, get ready, because because uh, the prisoners are taking the prison apart and, and killing." Each other, so well, as long as they're killing each other, I have no problem. Well, with they're that. also stabbing the guards, and well, you know, the thing about uh, OPP, as we like to call it for short, you know, Orleans Parish Prison, uh, it's it's chaos in there, even guys coming from Angola, which is widely recognized as one of the most dangerous prisons in the United States. Um, those guys, when they have to come into New Orleans for a court hearing and it lasts over, you know, like the, the, it's held they're over terrified. to the next day, yeah. <laughs> they, they'll say, do you want to stay here in OPP or you want to take the ride back to Angola, which is like two hours They go, I'll take the ride, man. Because, <laughs> you know, at oh, least yeah. in Angola, they have politics, everybody's position is settled, it's stable, you know. And they it, got a rodeo there. Too. Yeah, they got a rodeo, you know. Nice. Um, but uh, uh, Orleans Parish Prison, it's chaos, man. You got to no, you, well, you, you know, you got to have your head on a swivel. You got a bunch of crazy people there and and then you also have people that are just accused of crimes. They haven't been convicted of anything and they're subject to all this stuff too. Yeah, so they're waiting. They're just waiting. It's a nightmare, man. Yeah. You know, it's speaking of nightmares, you know, um uh, I just heard that, uh, you know, uh, Disneyland, I don't know if you heard about this, but some of the attractions, especially at the Florida Park, uh, Disney World, that the lines are just so long because they have these new attractions because now Disneyland is Star Wars. Disneyland is like, I think, Avatar, these rides. Okay. And these waits are so long that um, there are people waiting in line that cannot hold it. So they're pissing in line. <laughs> they're pissing in line. And some there's been three uh, incidents where people have actually taken a shit in line. <laughs> That's no good, man. Because they're, they just can't hold it. It's like, you know, two and a half hour, three hour wait oh, for this brother. attraction. How this good ride could, that probably lasts about 90 seconds. How good could it be, man? Yeah. Well, that's it. I, you know, this is people who want to see this shit. Oh, you know, it's just like, how could it be? How good could it be to wait in line for anything? 
Right. I mean, right. I, I wouldn't wait in line to see you. Sure. You know, I get that. Yeah. You know, I get uh, that. But apparently, uh, it's it's come to like a big thing, especially at Disney World, that the Disney officials are now putting uh, porter potties strategically, like okay. in line. There you go. And Problem people, solved. People, and they also have, uh, have got people to let's say you really got to go. And they have uh, people who will keep your place in place line. Yeah, okay. Placeholders. Yeah, placeholders and right. stuff. Do you so, have to pay them? Uh, that I don't know. That I don't know. Okay. But I just think uh, it, it's kind of... There's our patron now, Dave Clements, oh, making the scene. But anyway, it just goes to show you that Disneyland is still the happiest place on Earth. Okay. Because you can take a shit in line. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I think that's fabulous. Okay, you can, you know, if you all gotta right. go, you gotta go. I don't care who's watching. Yes, indeed. You know, um, but anyway, that's all I got. Our host, Mr. Dave Clements. Oh, holy man. moly! We were just talking about the, what do you call it? The Clemens. The Clempire. Uh, where, where I was explaining it, the the Clempire. The Clempire. Say something. Hello, world. <laughs> Things could get worse. <laughs> All right, Dave's got a, a Blue Velvet uh, Studio T-shirt on. I got to get one of those myself, man. Shout out to uh, Tom Stern, uh, Blue Velvet Studio. Hey, buddy. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, well, yeah. Well, Manny, maybe we should uh, get yeah, to our guest. Let's guests. get to our yeah, guests. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's enough. Enough of that Dave other Clements stuff. Dave Clements is about right. to fall down. <laughs> Uh, he's just realizing. <laughs> so our, uh, we have Where's your hat, man? What? He's very excited that our guest is here. Oh. We can't hear. You're not on mic. We can't yeah. hear what you're saying. Yeah. This guy was my hero. Hey, man, the Clements brothers uh, loom large in the New Orleans punk rock scene, for, for sure. Uh, so uh, our, we have a terrific guest. We've been uh, uh, trying to line him up on the, on the show for, for a while here. It's all come together. He's a terrific bassist, uh, songwriter, singer, a founding member of the legendary punk rock band from New Orleans, the Red Rockers, formerly the Rat Finks, who's also in uh, the Rain Dogs with Mark Cutler, uh, Clover, who's uh, played with Paul Westerberg from The Replacements. Uh, he's also the founder of Ten Pen Artist Management and currently manages The Replacements, the New York Dolls, the Mighty Mighty Boss Tones. He's also managed uh, Dropkick Murphys, Royal Crowns, Rocky Erickson crazy he's also proprietor of the pop emporium an antique shop uh, performance space and gallery in uh, providence rhode island where he lives now he's a busy guy i like that uh we're gonna get into all that uh so without further ado the great mr darren hill welcome darren thank you renee we, we go back a long time we do go back a long way um you know and i was even you don't thank me I'm right here. Oh, well, well he's Manny. Manny. He's Manny. Yeah. I love you. Okay. Uh, All right. See, what a sweetheart he is. Okay. So, uh, so the, 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 the first time, I'll, I'll jump right into this. The, the first time, well, let me say, you're in town for the big Red Rockers reunion gig, which is this Saturday, November 11th at Tipitina's. Y'all are celebrating the, the reissue of your first LP, Condition Red. 
and uh, you'll be performing that that record in its entirety for the first time in 40 years. It's going to be a, a real uh, call call to the tribe. Uh, I feel like uh, all the old New Orleans punk rockers are going to be coming out of the woodwork for this one. I turned down a gig so I could make this show. <laughs> that says it all. So, uh, so I will say the first time I ever remember seeing it, well, the first time I ever saw the Ratfinks, which y'all were called at the time, was at a, uh, a house party in Bocage on, in Algiers on the West Bank. And uh, I brought my friend Nicole Pavi, who's actually in town from Australia right now, back in New Orleans. But I, she lived on the, the East Bank. I, I lived on the West Bank. And I drove first from the West Bank to pick her up, drove back to the, you know, drove to pick her up uptown, drove back to the West Bank. We went saw this party. Might have been some, uh, some uh, Mexican quaaludes involved. Uh, drove her back home at the, after the show and then crashed my car on the way home. <laughs> We can laugh about this now because everybody made it okay. But so I found out about this gig from a guy that I was going to Franklin with, uh, who was your drummer at the time, Jeff Greenberg. And I didn't even know Jeff was a, a drummer. And he says, yeah, I'm a drummer. I'm playing in this band. I'm like, I was thinking, how good could these guys be? I don't even know this guy. Like, he wasn't in school band, you know. Just, I don't know. So I went and saw you guys. I'm like, fuck, these guys are great, man. <laughs> I love this band. You were like like sort of the clash, but even more cranked up, more amped up, you know, young kids. So uh, I think that was one of your first gigs. I, I don't know. It, it, it was. And uh, John was reminding me today that uh, I don't know if it was this particular house show in Bocage, or another one, but at some point, somebody had filled the bathroom tub upstairs in whoever's parents' house it was, uh-huh. and it overflowed, and the ceiling came crashing down, and we just like ran like bats out of hell out of there. <laughs> either either that was a different party, or I was gone before that happened. That's that's a possibility. It must have been the same one. And then th- there's uh, there's a DJ on WTUL. Her name is Laura. Okay. To this day, so we're we're going on her show at two o'clock on WTUL um, Thursday afternoon. Okay. And she informed me that she had hired us for her Sweet Sixteen party, and uh, at Aurora Country Club. Remember that? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Well, it- so her dad paid us a hundred dollars to leave. <laughs> <laughs> After we started. Well, Nicole Pavi, when I was reminding her of this this show, which she had kind of forgotten until I reminded her, she, she, when I just mentioned that I was having you on, she said, oh, yeah, they played for my, 16, my 16th birthday party, too. <laughs> so... Um, so let's get back a little, go back a little bit before that. Uh, yes, you are born in New Orleans, New Orleans boy, right? Um, so I, I usually ask people what, what high school they went to. I'm going to ask you what elementary school you went to. I, I went to Edna Carr. Okay, junior high Bank. school. Yeah, yeah, junior high okay, school. Okay, but where yeah. did you did you go Prior to, Hart, to that? Or, no, no, no. I I had moved there from uh, Ghana, West Africa. Oh, really? Yeah, my dad was uh, in the aluminum business. Got wow. transferred to Kaiser here in Chalmette. Crazy. So I didn't move here until like the beginning of junior high school. By that, you really mean the CIA, but okay, we'll, yeah, we'll keep, yeah, that, keep I think that under wraps. That's, uh, yeah. 
does Kaiser have to do with aluminum? That was the name of the company. Yeah, oh. yeah, yeah, Kaiser Aluminum. Yeah, yeah, I had relatives. Oh, that, I thought that, that was uh, Kaiser uh, Hospital. No, 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 no. Oh, okay. But then I saw on your, your bio that, that you went to Ben Franklin. Now, uh, what year did you graduate? 78. Okay. And uh, All right, that's my, why I don't remember, because you're a couple of years ahead of me. And, yes. And, it, you were in the same class as Jeff Greenberg, right? No, or? he's a year ahead of me. Okay. I, was, I, was, I graduated when, in 81. Okay. So my, he, my fondest memory of uh, Ben Franklin was, um, I think my freshman year, I was, uh, my study hall was in the cafeteria because it was a small school, yeah, you know. Yeah, and, and we didn't uh, have any, we didn't have yeah, a, a facility. Right, and the band, the, the school band practiced in the cafeteria. Yeah, I, that was and me. And there was this trumpet player that was just like, it made me look up for my, whatever I was trying to, to read or whatever, Wenton Marcellus. Wenton, yeah, Wenton yeah. was in the band that year. Yeah, yeah, I was, I was, I was, I was playing uh, acoustic bass in the band that the year that he was. How uh, cool is that? Oh yeah, no, and he, he played great. He he didn't need to be in the band, but uh, the band needed him, and and you know he's he's a he's a, a guy that uh, that was the year. I think we had uh, Peter Domborian as the the band director because we'd lost our band director, Damn. and and uh, uh, he he was he uh, was I won't go into that whole story. So you must have graduated with like David Kench, huh? Is he in your class? David was seventy nine, so he's okay. an earlier okay, um, so you're, class than right, me. Gotcha, but gotcha. he was one of my best friends in school. Used to go over to his house all the time. And right. Right. When his parents were out of town, and he would cook for us. Now he's like a three Michelin star chef, and and oh you know, yeah, has oh yeah, David's documentaries been... about him and everything. But yeah. I'm going to tell you guys, we have a big surprise. He's going to be doing a song with us uh, at the show. Oh Saturday. really, Kenches? Kenches going to be in town, man. I haven't yeah. I haven't seen him since I stayed at at the Red Rocker House in Boston. Uh, when I was on the road with Alex, with Alex. Yeah, 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 another good friend of ours. Yeah, and uh, and that's the last time I laid eyes on David Kench. So that was probably 1985, I believe, 84 possibly. Probably 84. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, that's crazy. So, well, tell us about the beginning of the Rat Fanks. How did how did they get started? You guys were uh, you weren't like uh, were you kind of a fledgling musician at that point? Uh, how did, what's the genesis I, of that? I am still not a musician. Oh. I'm just. Uh, <laughs> It was the spirit of the whole thing, and the way punk punk came in was just like a tidal wave, and you know anybody can do this. So if you had any kind of artistic, you know, inclination, inclination, yeah. anything, yeah, you, you you were driven to it and said, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna make my own statement and. We were three stupid kids from, from the West Bank that, you know, we just got together and we were friends, like, for a long time before we started the band. Okay. And then we just said, let's, let's start a band, you know? We can do this. Right. And we did it. And, you know, who knew? Right, so so you guys start off as as the Rat Finks. Uh, you know, at, at that time, uh, you know the Normals were kind of the kings of the scene. They were older guys. They had a very poppy sound, real polished musicians, very powerful uh, uh, three part harmonies and 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 all. Um, but then you guys were were hungry and raw and and uh, you know so so much energy and uh, you guys like 
opened for every band coming through New Orleans, every national touring act that, you know, like the, the Cramps, X, uh, uh, everybody, right? Like, oh, yeah, Black Flag, like you go on and on, Dead Boys, on and on and on, because that was part of our, our way of like, all right, if we're going to do this, let's, let's do it in a smart way. And, um, yeah, so we just started, like, getting the opening slots for everybody that came through town. But we made connections with these people. So, like, when we went out to L.A., you know, and we lost Jeff Greenberg, our drummer, along the way because he was still at Ben Franklin. Uh-huh. And his parents wouldn't let him go right. with us. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I called up John Doe, and I got his answering machine because or answering service because they didn't even have answering machines in. Uh-huh, right. And the guy that was taking the message on the other line happened to be Patrick Jones, our future drummer, who said, oh, I'm a drummer, you know, can I try out for you guys? And that's (laughs) how it happened. It was just like destiny. Nice, nice. So you guys are playing all these shows, and and I've seen some of your you've you've written extensively in the last few months on social media, like kind of chronicling uh, uh, the the history of the band, the progression of it. And those are great if anybody wants to dig in. And, and uh, uh, Darren's an excellent writer, and it's, it's very it's very interesting. But uh, you're talking about like the the war zone, as you referred to it, like this this little. Uh, area uptown involving, you know, Oak Street with the club first Jeds and then later to be renamed as, as Tupelo's after Toby bought it, changed hands from Jed Palmer to Toby. But uh, then a few blocks away was Jimmy's and uh, and we had uh, the Willow Inn across the street, now Carrollton Station. But, uh, you know, you could, even if you couldn't get in to, to Jimmy's, you, you know, they had a doorman that wouldn't let you in. You couldn't sneak in as an underage kid, you, didn't, you know, unknown. You could always go get drinks at, at uh, the Willow Inn if you were like 12, you know, <laughs> and you could stand outside and drink a drink and listen to the band through the door. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, I wonder if every city has that kind of like, experience well i i think that that is instrumental in having a scene where you have to have like a locality you know it has to have like a a certain you know um whether you say uh, well i I call it grand uh ground zero right you know it was like yeah that that block or two was just like there were so many artistic people that like gravitated towards that place right it was just Incredible. I mean, that's where me and Carlo Nuzio first met, you know, hanging out there. And then they also had uh, uh, Fat City, wrote about some, and uh, the showboat out there. And, and uh, let's not forget Old Man Rivers. Old Man Rivers. Way out in Bridge City. Yeah, 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 yeah. On the, we- on the West Bank, you had to go across the Huey P. Long Bridge to get to it. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, I have some, some good stories from I'm sure you have some good stories. That, from old man rivers but uh so you guys were working hard um then uh, then you you change your name to the red rockers and uh you're touring around uh tell us tell us about some of the the next year or so of that yeah so we we ultimately knew like we wanted to go big with this and we we knew that we had to move out of new orleans because you know it's just hard to sustain yourself as an original band in, a, in, in in this beautiful music city, but it was like 
on one side you had Houston, Austin, on the other side maybe Atlanta, you know, and it's like, what are you going to do? You know, how, how are you going to sustain this? So we decided we had to move out to California. Uh, the Normals had moved to New York, and that had not been successful for them. And right. those guys told us, like, don't go to New York, go to California. Okay. You're going to be better off there. You're going to be more accepted. And sure as shit, you know, we went out there and, and within like three months, we got a record deal. It was amazing. Now, you guys had already put out your first record on your own, right? And, and uh, maybe that was some of the first of, of the... Uh, hadn't you done the EP already? Uh, the Yeah, that was all, it was all DIY. So, yeah, we went and... Guns of Revolution it. was your first Correct. Uh, 45 Correct. Uh, EP. Teenage Underground, Nothing to Lose on the B-side. And, yeah, we w- went out there and, uh, you know, I, I previously to that, I had mailed out, like, copies of the record to like radio stations fanzines like all these people out in california and they they loved it and you know we started seeing ourselves on charts of radio stations and and all this crazy stuff so we went out there and it was you know they really accepted us it was great it was great well, and, and so you did a lot of this yourself, like uh, the, the, the legwork of, of uh, writing all these people and stuff. You always had kind of an inclination towards uh, the, the managerial side or, you know, that it's not just uh, getting up on stage. You got to Yeah, that work. was my thing. It was like, you know, I, I wasn't a musician. I just, you know, but I had like, you know, I knew what I wanted to do. It was like, and I was able to take all my mistakes and be able to guide other bands when I started my management company and and you know help them and uh right yeah I think it's paid off but uh so so you get out to California you get a a record deal with what 415 records yeah 415 records out of San Francisco yep and you you make your first you make the condition red right that's condition red yep Recorded at the Automat with David Kahn and uh, Jello Biafra from uh, the Dead Kennedys was hugely helpful to us. He uh, he really helped us out a lot and guided us. And that was like 1981. That record came out, I think. Yep, 1981. And then yep. you guys uh, like are actually going out and, and playing shows with the Clash and and going and doing national tours at that point, huh? Absolutely. It was crazy. Like these New Orleans kids from the West Bank, like out, you know, in New York City, you know, playing at Danceteria and these places. It was like, we couldn't believe it. It was just like a dream come true. And it was the camaraderie of these three friends from the West Bank that grew up together and being able to share the experiences were, it was just unbelievable. Going back, uh, we're, we're talking about Dave Clements. Uh, back before you ever left New Orleans, you were playing, uh, sharing bills with a lot of bands, uh, local bands like Sex Dog, the band that uh, Dave and Cranston Clements were in, and Nicky Sonsenbach was the drummer. We just lost Nicky recently. It's, uh, it's tough, man. It's, uh, that's why this, this show is going to be so touching, this uh, this. To me, it's more about like us than than me 
and John and James, it's 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 like we had like such a community back then. Right, it meant something. I don't know if that exists anymore. Does it? I'm not sure. You know, like stuff online has, seems to have taken the place of that. But does that really have any staying power? Does that really, you know, will your Facebook friends or your TikTok friends, I don't know, Instagram followers, uh, meet up with you 40 years from now and have warm feelings? <laughs> I doubt it. <laughs> I mean, I, I can't imagine that it will, you know. It, but we all grew up together. We all lived together. It was it was a special time. Right. You know, Manny, it seems like, uh, speaking of a special time, seems like that special time in the show. Yeah, we, it's going to take a break. Uh, the Troubled Nation knows what to do. We'll be right back. Back with Mr. Manny Chevrolet. Mm -hmm. I am Renee Coleman. Back with our guest, Mr. Darren Hill. Darren Hill. Now, uh, Darren, uh, I know you've listened to a lot of these shows, so uh, you're well familiar with our struggles with sponsorship. And so we're. That I am. We're back to just uh, straight listener sponsorship or listener supported operation. You know, it's. uh, it's give and take, you know. We we put the shows out, and the the, the listeners respond. And uh, longtime listener Bill Pachette uh, responded this week, Manny, and and bought us a, us a fuck off. Bought us several rounds uh, of cocktails in honor of your birthday. Wished you a happy birthday. How many rounds? Uh, several. Well, what are several? Well, I don't know. <laughs> when was your birthday, Manny? It was last a uh, couple weeks ago. A couple of Fridays ago. Yeah. yeah Thank yeah, you yeah, very yeah. much. Yeah, we, Manny caught us several. I mean, because yes. a, a couple is two, a few is three. What is several? It's somewhere in there. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how 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 it goes. But uh, but Bill was generous, and uh, and we have we have uh, the cocktails to prove it here. So thank you, Bill. We do appreciate your your listening and supporting the podcast. And uh, for those that you want to emulate uh, Bill's, uh, you know behavior we do have the venmo and paypal links there in the sh- in the notes of every show the show notes as well as uh the pinned facebook page there on the top of the top of our facebook page and uh 
Also, uh, pinned, uh, the, we have the links there to the Trouble Men podcast T-shirts because, uh, you know, Christmas is right around the corner. And it takes so long to get those shirts in. If you want to give somebody those shirts, you better order them now, man. What does pin mean? What does it well, mean? it's like you can pin a post and it makes it stay right up at, at the top of your, of your page as opposed to, you know, your feed. If you don't pin it, it just goes back into the timeline. Well, how do I know if I have a feed? Well, you have a feed. You have the Manny, Sh- Manny Chevrolet for Mayor feed. That's I that's do? your page. That's your page. That's and my page. Yeah, that's your page. And that's and then, my feed. And then anything you put on there is is the, pinned. Is the feed? No. Well, we're kind of getting into the weeds here. But you you can pin a post and keep it right up at the top of of the thing. Yeah. So anyway, if I have no you, idea. What well, well, <laughs> look at the Trouble Men podcast page, and it it will be self explanatory. Shut that dog up. But uh, so anyway, uh, the bottom line is here. Please, please support these guys because what they're doing is keeping great music alive. Well, we're we're and interesting. Really? I yeah, we're, think we're yeah, doing well, that. We're 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 we're, uh, we're profiling uh, important guests in New well, Orleans. Profiling music, has uh, been rockers, basically. Oh, is what we've been no, doing no. the last two years. No, just like my co-host here. No, I can't. You know, uh, you know, uh, look, you 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 can't. Uh, here's the thing: of people in in the music business, they are are, are people that are not in it. They they, so they ask about you know your level of success in the in in the music business, and I say you really don't have a lot of, as a musician. You don't have a lot of control over that. I mean, there's certain things you know you can do or or don't do. But the only thing you really have control over is whether you want to stay in the music business. And if if you want to continue to play music, and if you have the bug, if you love it, then you stay in it, and you know it works out how it does. And do they call that a lifer? I think so. Yeah, yeah. My son the other day he was saying, "Well, uh, if you didn't play music, uh, what would you have done?" And I really didn't have an you answer. You had no answer. I had no. Yeah. I didn't even have one. I didn't say I don't know because I, I never thought that far. I could, when I thought about it as a kid, I couldn't come up with anything. I can't come up with anything now. So it kind of makes your decision easy in a way, right? Absolutely. I knew that about you when I met you for the first time when you were like 16 years old. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, uh, so anyway, uh, back to the uh, the housekeeping. Yes, uh, follow us on, on social media, uh, Instagram and Facebook, and uh, rate, subscribe, and review wherever you're listening to the podcast. Give us five stars. Cost you nothing. Helps us out a lot. Um, uh, How does it help us out? Well, because uh, I don't know. It doesn't hurt us. I know that. Okay. <laughs> but Because uh, it looks good. It looks good if you have a five-star review. That's good, right? Yeah, yeah. From uh, the fans. From, oh, the, the, from fans? the nation. The troubled nation. Oh, okay. That's, we that's have a, how many are in our nation? Manny right? Chevrolet it's, fans out there. Oh, yeah. Uh, not many. Oh, well, yeah, not well many. you know, you don't need yeah. many, man. You just need quality. Yeah. <laughs> We're going for quality, not quantity here. Okay. <laughs> but... Uh, Anyway, uh, I could say up more, but I think that everybody knows the spiel. You know, if you if you uh, if you want to hear it, you can go to other shows and listen to the same spiel more or less. Let's get back to our guest, Mr. Darren Hill. So, Darren, uh, what prompted y'all to uh, uh, mount this reunion show after so long? Money. Well, no, it's no. costing you I'm money. Sure it's, it's I'm sure this is costing you money yeah, to do this. Yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah. why are you it doing is. it then? All right, that's a good question. Fair question. The whole thing was precipitated by uh, 
the master tapes to our first record that had been missing for 40 years were found in Sam, Sandy Perlman's garage at his estate sale after he passed away. I know Sandy Perlman, yeah. Yeah. So they were found by uh, Johnny Colo from Huey Lewis in the News. Do you know hmm. who he is? I thought Saxophone his name was player. Kulo. Yeah, whatever it is. Okay. Yeah. Wow. I don't know him. I don't but know. He him found either. them, got in touch with us, and mm. said, "Hey, do you want your tapes back? I found them at this estate sale." Wow. Forty years they had been gone. I've been looking for them. So that's the last time you played forty years ago. With the Red Rockers? Uh, no, it was the last time this record had been released. Uh, we played maybe... Yeah, yeah. The last time this incarnation played together was 1983. So. Oh, wow. Okay. Wow. Yeah, so that is ago. 40 years ago. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 It's 40 years ago. Yeah. So, and, and this time around, I saw, you know, you guys have, have had a variety of drummers. At one point, you had the great uh, uh, Jim Riley from Stiff Little Fingers was y'all's, uh, was y'all's drummer. He was a terrific drummer. Um, but uh, this time around, you have uh, New Orleans boy Brian Barbaro. Is that correct? That's correct. Now, you know, uh, Brian and I played in his dad's band together. For several years, we were we were the rhythm section in the Pat Barbaro Orchestra, which is basically like a Glenn Miller style band. I did not know that, <laughs> but I understood that that Brian's dad also played with Pete Fountain. Um, well, you know, he was he was tight with Pete, and and uh, you know, Pete would come and play with us. I played with Pete one time, uh, you know, where the his, the bass player didn't show up. You know, I was there with Pat's band. They're like, come play with Pete, so I did. Um, I sat. In, I, I took uh, Stick Felix's uh, uh, places. His how his cool was that? Out. Super cool. Pete's a cool guy. But uh, you know, Pat and Brian were involved in the half-assed marching club the whole time that Pete had that while he was still alive. And you know, Brian for I think Brian is still involved in the half-assed marching club. You know. Well, I tell you, we we're rehearsing at a hit. The place his family owns at the Jo North. Yeah, at the Jo North. That's where I and, played, man. That's, that's and we like, have to break down yeah. <laughs> so that the half-assed marching, marching club band uh-huh. club can come in and do their thing, whatever it is. Right. Yeah. So you know, Brian. Uh, Brian's always been a, a a great rock and roll drummer, as well as now Brian has led the band uh, after his father passed. Brian still leads the the Jefferson Orleans, uh, you know, the the uh, Pat Barbara Orchestra, and uh, they still have a dance scene out there. I mean, those people are hanging on by the skin of their teeth. But uh, you know, th- so that that band has been a Glenn Miller style band since before Glenn Miller died. So when Glenn Miller died in World War II, <laughs> so that's how long that band has existed. <laughs> but. Uh, that also like illustrates our New Orleans roots. You know what I mean? Right. Like you know, it's it, all connected, man. Yeah. Now, now I, I I was wondering how Brian got involved. Then I was thinking, well, I know Brian and 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 John Thomas Griffith were knew each other, and then I think Brian played like in this this uh, kind of glam rock band. Yeah, uh, Glamorama. Glamorama. With James, our guitar player, played plays in that too. There you go. See, it's all connected, man. It's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you guys have this this show and, and Brian's playing, but let's get back to uh, the the timeline of of the Red Rockers uh, back in the '80s. So so you you put out Condition Red, 
uh, on 415 Records. You tour all over the place. Uh, uh, you know, great critical acclaim. Don't sell a ton of records, but uh, your reputation is is stellar among everybody that sees you. You know, and 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 within bands, you guys put out the second uh, the second LP. Good as gold. And didn't we sold out? Well, I don't know. <laughs> is that how it felt from your? So you put out Good as Gold, which has the the single China, which winds up. Uh, it's right at the 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 beginning of MTV, you make a video for it, you have a very uh, photogenic front man in, in John Thomas Griffith, he's doing the new wave dance down the line, you know, and it's a very melodic, kind of poppier song. It, it's, it's like on heavy rotation all the time on MTV, you can't get away from it. So what was that like for you guys? Don't shake your head, you gotta talk in the mic, man. <laughs> this is not on video. <laughs> man, uh, it was... Um it was awful, probably. No, no, was it? Why, why no, would it, it be was awful? great? Okay. I mean, I, would I mean, come on. Every, the way you, every wait, guy no, no, wait, wait, gets in a band for chicks. That's the okay, ultimate goal, uh, right? Right. And, and we had chicks. chicks like yeah, all kinds. You know, all Chinese, over the place. Yeah. yeah all, but every, that all song kinds. China. I saw that video. It's China. Your name, the Red Rockers. Are you fucking communist people? You call me pinkos? Is that what it's about? Well, that that's what our reputation was. Really? But, yeah. See, you yeah. call me. Uh, there were, yeah. there were, you had a political bent. Had we a, did. A we political did. Angle, we did. We revolutionary did. Uh, sort of. And I was proud of that because we were able to like take that mainstream. Like That was a top 40 song. and But the B-side of it was a song I wrote called Voice of America, which is a scathing song. You know, indictment of you know what the, the Reagan United era, States, right, yeah, the right. Reagan era. That's what we were growing up in, and right. you know, and I was so proud of that that we were able to like couch that with something poppy know, that pop- people will buy. Yeah, yeah, that yeah, we're yeah, like, yeah. All these stupid. <laughs> did you make a video <laughs> like for the that, other? Did you make a video? No, for the B-side? No, no, no. I don't know if anybody heard it, but we're fucking playing it. Sure. Oh, okay. And behind that, you guys go out on tour with like U2 and you're playing huge stadium tours. Now, Bono, he's a, he's a real jerk, isn't he? Did you find him a jerk? Uh, We're talking back in the 80s. Back in the 80s, he was very he was pontification. Okay. You know, yeah. like, he liked to hear yeah, himself. Even yeah, just hanging yeah. out at the bar, like one-on-one, he already had yeah, that inclination. Like, he... he took a liking to us so he would like come and like you know hang out and like try to like you know teach you something teach us yeah, yeah and it, which was great you know and i have nothing but respect for him i'm not going to say anything bad about yeah bono, no but. why why yeah. you don't have to it was great and actually uh bono was the, the person who recommended jim riley to you guys right that's right that's right so we lost patrick and um Howie Klein from 415 was doing an interview with um, Bono, and he happened to mention that we had just lost our drummer or whatever, and he goes, oh, my, my good friend from Stiff Little Fingers just left Stiff Little Fingers is looking for a band from America to play with. So it just like, it, so many times in our career, there's been this like kismet that mm-hmm. just has happened. And yeah. It's so weird. It's like, <laughs> yeah. We didn't even try, you know. It just happened. 
So, so during that era, that that uh, you know that that's that's you know top forty record on you know heavy rotation on MTV. You guys are out out on on tour with you know all, all these fantastic bands: the Cars, the Kinks, the Go Go's. Joan Work, Joan Jett, B fifty two. Yeah, just kept fantastic. I I don't know. I I, I was I'm I'm a fan of the cars. Really? Yeah, yeah. You know. Okay. I I loved Benjamin Orr. You know, I I I saw that that first time they played at. You know, know, cars were kind of like Shakespeare to me. Where did they play in New Orleans the first time? First time was at uh, the warehouse. I was at that show. I yeah, yeah, that. yeah, yeah. That's one that I actually made. Before we start tonight, I was talking about how uh, friends of mine, you know, high school friends of mine would say, oh, remember that show we saw such and such? And I would think, I remember when y'all went to that show, but I had to miss it because I had, was playing somebody's wedding or some parents without partners dance or something <laughs> with my with my tuxedo band, you know, as a, as a 15-year-old. But that's one I actually made. I thought that was fucking terrific show, man. Great band. Holy I love the warehouse. There were so many great shows there. I saw like Patty Smith open for Tom Petty. Yeah. You know, yeah. it was like shit like that. It was like <laughs> See, that's it was like a show crazy I missed. Bill Graham but, shit, right? Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that was it was like uh the 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 Almond Brothers uh like they were kind of the house band there almost. That was a little bit before right. our time. Yeah. But uh but man, and it was such a fire trap, man. That place was scary. Every time we went in there, it was like, oh my god, oh, yeah. I hope I get out alive. No air conditioning. Uh, you know, it would be so hot in there. They had went big window fans. Uh, you know, that would try to pump pump air in. But if you get in front of the stage, it's I don't know, like you know, hundred degrees or something, and ninety nine percent humidity. It actually was a warehouse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a warehouse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, with a stage. Um, yeah, I remember uh, on at least one occasion uh, a girl that we was in our group fainting there from heat, you know, from and where we had to carry her out and bring her back towards one of the the window fans, you know, so she could we could try to revive her, put some ice on her on her forehead or something, you know. But uh, yeah, man, those those good 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 times, man. Again, you can't just nod and smile. <laughs> it doesn't work on a podcast. I know, I know, I know. But okay, I'll, moving on. So uh, you, you you tour behind that record, and 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 then, but some dissension is creeping in already because uh, you're straying away from your 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 punk r- roots or something, and you you make the next record, uh, Schizophrenic Circus, which gets a little bit more psychedelic, a little bit more folky, and I don't know. Uh, we can skip over this part if you want, but <laughs> no, no. No, I'd like to, but no. Uh, <laughs> it happened. So. No, you know, it was like. I mean, I. I now said, you guys had I moved had up said, to Boston by this time, right? Yes, yes. After the U two tour, we uh, landed in Boston. Um, actually, we recorded the Schizophrenic Circus album prior to that. And okay. um, yeah, so we were in New York for a long time. And uh, now, did John on Yellow? Uh, yes. I just I just met John in I know, last you, November, a year you ago. You did that with loose cattle. Loose cattle. Right? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I love and that guy. I love- he is amazing. <laughs> He's so he amazing. did like 
Manny, you probably know. He did all the Dinosaur Jr. and Buffalo Tom, all that stuff. All that great stuff from the 90s. He, John, uh, John has been on everything from, you know, like like 1979 at the record plant. You know, he was there making coffee, but then an assistant on, like, all these Aerosmith records and, like, everything. You know, he's, he's, uh, he's produced all these uh, Sonic Youth records and just on and on and on. Seattle scene, you know. Crazy. Yeah, so he was just the engineer and... You know, at that time, we had Rick Chertoff and Bill Whitman producing, but John, he was the man. Yeah. You know, he, he got us, and yeah. he knew how to, like, what sounds we were going for and all that stuff, and, you know, he, he is amazing. Crazy, because John is not a musician. John is an engineer. But see, I think that's important. Okay, go on. I think the separation of, you know... It's sound versus music. Exactly. Because you're not listening to that. You're listening more as, as a fan. A, a listener. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I tell you what, when I walked into the studio uh, to work with John for the first time, never met him before. I, I didn't really do much research ahead of time because I don't want to, I don't want to, uh, you know, get yeah, too starstruck, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah. And, and, but, I, but as soon as I saw the way he was operating, the authority he was operating with, the command he had, the confidence he had, I, I immediately relaxed. I was like, oh, I'm in good hands. I don't have to worry. I trust this guy implicitly. <laughs> and man, w let me tell you what an honor it was to record at the record plant. I mean, we were like maybe a year and a half removed or a couple years removed from like John Lennon being killed. And, he, you know, that's where he did his last sessions right. with a lot of the people that we were working with. And it was just like, man, you know? Yeah. Yeah, especially, you know, you think just just guys from the West Bank who are yeah. just friends. And yeah. Yeah. <laughs> how, how did we end up here? Like, what, what the hell is going on, you know? That was the way we looked at it all the way along, you know? And that's what makes this Saturday so special because it's like bringing it all back home again, you know, yeah, where man. it started. And I saw a post about uh, Jonathan Priedis talking about uh, you guys coming over and, and uh, borrowing a piece of equipment from him and talking about seeing you guys like an Annie Leibovitz uh, photograph of you guys that he used to idolize as a teenager. And when y'all showed up on his, his uh, doorstep last week to pick up this piece of equipment, he thought, those are the fucking guys. And that's what a band looks like, man. That's exactly right. And that's what, what this is bringing back to me. And it's special. It really is. It's nothing better than being in a band, man. It's, it's a family you made up. You know. Yeah. yeah. No, no. It's, it's the greatest thing ever. It's like a gang. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's what people hope their families can be, but rarely are, you know. Yeah, it's a community. It's a band. It's, it's everything. Uh, I'm getting so chills. when are you playing? When is this? This, this Saturday, this Saturday at Tipitina's. All right. Well, we, well we, this won't come out. Yeah, yeah. It'll be that. after. It'll be uh, in the past when this show comes out. But it's uh, okay. Doesn't matter because it's going to be a sold out show and yeah. uh, yeah, it's yeah. going to be amazing. It's, it's gonna well, I won't be there. I can guarantee you Why? that. <laughs> Manny doesn't go out. He doesn't leave his house. I don't leave but, his uh, house. For yeah, the, except until, for the, except for this. Except for this. Yeah. But so why do you settle in Boston? 
Why does the band so, go to Boston? One of the most racist cities I've ever been to in my right? life. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Been to Boston twice and been in fights twice <laughs> just because of my skin color is or that, the way I is look. Is that your only two fights you've ever been in? No, I've been in many fights. Oh, okay. But right. Boston, only been to Boston twice in my life and both times. You just look too ethnic. Uh, I guess so. Yeah. I, it was kind of like the Star Wars scene. <laughs> I don't like the way you look. You know, that kind of shit. <laughs> I hear why you, is Manny. It, yeah, why is it such a racist city? Uh, you know, I, I can't explain that. that. Yeah, I can't explain so that. So why did you move there, though? Well, we moved there because... Uh, so we were on the Unforgettable Fire tour with you two, 1985, and I think one of the last shows was in Boston. Okay. And Boston had been so good to us. We were on the on both radio stations, like high rotation, and because it's not a big college town, Boston. No, it's not a big college town. <laughs> exactly. But so we were in New Orleans previously, so. What are you going to do to survive down there? You know, it's like, like I said earlier, there's, there's like Houston, Austin on one side, Atlanta yeah. on the other side. Whereas in Boston, like college shows were, were bread and butter back then. Yeah. Like they paid big money and there was all, all these college colleges up there and all these cities that were like close within an hour of each other that we could go play and so we figured we could sustain ourselves up here right. we, can, we can make this our base and just hub out of here and and survive as a band whereas in New Orleans you can't you know yeah, no, it's if, like if you guys had stayed down here you would have been working at uh, Kaiser yeah. Aluminum in, yeah, exactly. in, in two years exactly yeah. <laughs> So, so, so you're up there. Uh, you know, the the band kind of, you know, whatever happens, uh, you you don't make any more records. But you had already. I, I was I was doing the timeline, looking at your credits, and I'm realizing while you were uh, on MTV, you were already getting credits on replacements records as an assistant. I don't know how that would. You were already in management at some kind of uh, entry level. Yeah, so I I, I, mean, I was always interested in the business side of things and the way things worked, and I just wanted to be a part of, of, of music, even though I knew I couldn't play that great. You know, it's like well, and you understood you understood that that uh, you know. Musicians, uh, it's a it's a young man's game, you know. You yeah. can only be young for so long, but exactly. you, you can manage forever. And there's always new new musicians coming down the pipe. <laughs> yeah, and it's more about like you know, like just like being a part of that than like trying to do something myself, you know. So I'd re I hitched my wagon to him early on, and yeah. Okay. So, so you're you're involved with the replacements for, for over a whole bunch of records, man. And, yeah, and like from eighty one, eighty one is when you show up on the first credit. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's early on in the Red Rockets' career. You're already, but uh, like in, through through nineteen ninety and and uh, you know, so you eventually wind up playing with Paul. Yes. So, uh, interesting fact. Uh, this. December 4th, which is my birthday, will be oh, the 30th birthday. anniversary of us playing on Saturday Night Live with, with Paul Westerberg and Josh Freeze, who is now in the Foo Fighters. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah I know Josh. Yeah. The drummer, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah you must know him. I know. I played a couple gigs in L.A. with him. 
He's a good imagine. kid. Yeah, he's a good, he's a good kid. kid. Yeah, yeah, he's a good kid. <laughs> when he showed up, I have to tell you a funny he story. He yelled Burt Reynolds. Didn't he yell Burt Reynolds yes. during that gig? Yes, yes. Now, that it's was not planned, gig. or was that Not planned? at all. Yeah. So, here was the deal. So, Paul said, um, right before we took the stage, we're in the wings. This is live TV in front of millions yeah. of people. Uh-huh. He said, yeah. <laughs> I want somebody to yell something out. And then we're going to change keys so that we trip the horn players, the Saturday Night Life horn players. Yeah. So they're going to be thrown <laughs> off. That's what Paul Westbrook did. Yeah, yeah. Those guys were so self-sabotaging. Right? <laughs> right? Yeah, and so Josh, it was up to Josh then. Yeah, and so it was up to Josh. So Josh yelled out, Burt Reynolds. But it was so funny that we all, I mean, you can see it, we're yeah. all cracking up right and we didn't change keys we didn't we didn't modulate. But i remember that because paul like had this huge grin on his face yeah and the guy yeah. is always so like yeah exactly know, exactly yeah exactly i mean live tv that was like i mean to me like 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 i was like freaking out like oh fuck i have to i have to modulate like live tv I don't know. I can't do this. Yeah. yeah. So I was like, <laughs> but you didn't have to do anything. No, yeah. no, I didn't. Yeah. And the other greatest thing about that gig was so during rehearsals, Charlton Heston, who was the host. Wow. He he kept <laughs> fucking goddamn up Paul's dirty name. day. Yeah. Dirty apes. He, he kept <laughs> fucking up Paul's name, so he would say. You know, in rehearsals, like, Paul Westerfield, or whatever. <laughs> and uh, so the opening scene, too, was like, we were all dressed in ape costumes from okay. original Planet oh, okay. of the Ape costumes, uh-huh, right. because he was supposedly mm-hmm. waking up from his dressing room and walking out, and it was going to be in Planet of the Apes, uh-huh. you know? Right. I remember that episode, yeah. yeah. But at the end, when we're all, like, everybody's out there, like, Milling around, hugging each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Paul spits in his hand sh- before he shakes Charlton Heston's sh- <laughs> <laughs> Okay. I like it. So was he the head of the NRA then? Yes. Charlton, he was. Already he was. Okay. I think uh, I, I think so. Maybe it's not. It's hard to remember. Soon, I so think yeah. that might have been uh, yeah, a little bit before that later, time. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, he was already Charlton Heston. <laughs> He'd already been in Omega. Doesn't Man. matter, yeah. Well, he just probably my... thought Westerberg was just another Jew from Hollywood, probably. Right? Exactly. Probably, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. I don't need to get this guy's name right. He's just another Jew. <laughs> I don't think Paul's even Jewish. Is he? And the other thing is, Westerberg—that's like, a Jewish name, isn't it? I don't know. You, you don't tell. know. You're Jewish. Yeah, I know, but it could be German. I don't know. I don't the know. other thing is, Lauren Michaels tried to kick us off the show the day of the show huh. because he didn't ha- had no idea that uh, that Paul was in the replacements and you remember the when the replacements played Saturday Night Live Paul said play that fucker to to Bob uh-huh. when he was going to do the solo so he cursed on live TV and so Lauren Michaels said never again those guys are banned yeah Right. Oh, okay. So but I think so that I think that episode was when Lauren Michaels was not the producer of the show because it was that 
break in the eighties where you might be right. Where Lord yeah. Michaels Manning? was not the producer. Sort of of the removed, show. right. It was yeah, two they, seasons and that yeah, was. Yeah, they had season. the guy that so from maybe uh, that's why he didn't recognize it. Wide world maybe. of sports uh, took over. Rune Arledge. Oh wow, Manny. Wow. Look at Rune that. I know. Showbiz. TV that's trivia, you, you man. Grow up in, you grow up in Hollywood. You, but that that was a season where it was like uh, Billy Crystal, Rich Hall, uh, Martin Short, Christopher Guest. They were all they were all there for one season. I think that's the season. I think oh, okay. that's the season. It might have been, but I Amazing. mean, when we did it, it was like Chris Farley. Uh, okay, Mike so that Myers, was yeah. Well, that was uh, yeah, yeah. That Phil was yeah. That was, I mean, it was like that the was cream the comeback the crew. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that was yeah, the yeah, comeback yeah. crew. Yeah. Man, oh yeah. man, yeah. So uh, moving on, so so uh, uh, you—that's th- kind of the beginning of your of ten pen management. Correct. So so you you have uh, you know you you, you have uh, Dropkick Murphys, Royal Crowns. Uh, now currently, let's let's move forward a little bit more. You 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 have uh, currently you have uh, the replacements, New York Dolls, Mighty Mighty Boss Tones. Now. Uh, you were involved in in the New York Dolls playing Meltdown Festival in 2004, uh, where they they uh, play made the uh, the performance and the record live from Royal Festival Hall, which was the last gig of their bass player Arthur Kane, and it was the kind of the big thing so of course johnny thunders had died in new orleans uh before that but uh still had sylvain was still in the band and uh yeah again last last uh, hurrah and that was a really fun show man i mean it's a gr- it's a fun record talk about that i don't know if you've ever seen the documentary uh new york doll yeah yeah yeah. which is done by a great filmmaker i love that has, movie yeah. yeah yeah so i mean that was so special to me because the New York Dolls were like I idolized those guys. Sure. They were the, whatever. So I started to work with David Johansson and the Harry Smiths like a few years before this, and then I got a call from Morrissey, and he said, "Any chance you can get the Dolls together to do my festival? You know, at Meltdown or whatever." I'm like, I don't know. I'll see. You know. So I, I. I reached out to Dave. David was surprisingly into it. And, you know, then contacting Arthur, who had been a, like a Mormon and looked like work, yeah, yeah, working yeah. for the church and right. all this stuff. And then Sill, who, you know, I had been in touch with him because he's a pain in the ass. But um, it was just like a dream come true for me. So, you know, got everybody together and we did this and like, two great sold out shows at Royal Festival Hall in London and then we came back and then Arthur calls me like two days later and says I'm not feeling well I don't know what I should do and I said go to the doctor you know and he described his symptoms or whatever and like five days later he was dead you know he had like leukemia leukemia like yeah it was just crazy Man, yeah, it was so tragic because it was like seeing the, hearing that record and seeing those guys in that video, you know, it's like, fuck yeah, it's like he was so happy, you know, it's... And, and David and Syl were so happy to be with him too, it was right. just like this joyous, you know, expression of like love, amazing. 
Let's talk about a band, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is this is a very perishable uh, commodity, people. You know these uh, these relationships you have and in rock and roll and and with the music, you know, and as musicians, these these things they they won't last forever. You have to cherish them, man. Absolutely. Moving on to uh, some some other uh, management challenges of yours, you managed Rocky Erickson. Now. Uh, Rocky was famously, you know, had some mental health issues, you know, um, living in the Kremlin with a three-headed dog. <laughs> One of yes. my favorite songs ever. <laughs> now, t- talk about managing uh, Rocky Erickson. <laughs> you can't just shake your head. You have to talk. <laughs> I know, but... <laughs> I'm not a big talker, Renee. Uh, well, um, that's not good for a podcast. I know, I know. <laughs> uh, first of all, I have to say I love Rocky so much, um, and I was, I was afraid. Some friends of mine approached me about managing him, and I said, "No way, that dude's like crazy. He's like Charles Manson or something." <laughs> Without the murder. Yeah. <laughs> or maybe. Okay. Well, yeah. who knows? Yeah. <laughs> Bloody Hammer. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I went to Austin and I met with him, and he was just like the sweetest person in the world. It yeah. was so amazing, and I I had loved his music from the elevators yeah. through on out, and He's just great. like yeah, and he was just so sweet. And um, to me, that's probably the most rewarding experience I've had in my managerial career was working with Rocky. Because we really became friends, and I feel like I helped him in a, in a lot of ways. Like, you know, just coming to terms with, with where he was at and understanding him and helping him, you know, just get his life better. He was, you know, it was not a financial reward for me. It was more of a... Labor of love. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And to this day, like, I still manage his estate and his son and I I still, his wife and I, uh, you know, we're all like family. They, his his son considers me a brother. It's just like, it's so rewarding to me. And I have nothing but respect for Rocky. He was like a pioneer and amazing, you know. Yeah, man, these these uh, these people are touched by God, man. No, who is yes. he? I, I've Rocky never heard. Erickson, you know, thirteenth floor elevators. Uh, I don't know who that. You're gonna miss me. I don't know. Great, uh, yeah, yeah. Texas psychedelic. Uh, oh, I don't know. Janis Joplin yeah. learned everything from him. Oh, okay. Well, she uh, she no, did well with that. Yeah. Anyway, a, a giant, a giant of, okay. uh, of rock and roll. Well, again, I, we could go on for so long, even though you don't want to talk, but uh, uh, we're kind of at the end of the podcast. But uh, so this Saturday is going to be ground zero again. It is gonna, ground zero. going to be when and all the punks come we're gonna out. We're going to see, like, we've heard some, from so many people. It's, it's, it, it's just going to be a special night. It's going to be pe- like... I know people coming... All from around the, the country, yeah, All around the world, yeah, from yeah. out of the country, really are. Yeah, 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 man, it's uh, I can't wait. Well, God, uh, Darren, man, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Uh, thank you, yeah, it's, it's been a thrill, man. 
Well, thank you guys for doing what you're doing because you're keeping it alive. <laughs> right on, man. Well, you too. And again, we didn't get to uh, the Pop Emporium, which you run uh, in, and you run shows out of there in, in, in uh, Providence. I love Providence. Yeah. Uh, haven't gotten there. Used to play there with the iguanas back in the the late 90s, early 2000s, you, you know, got to come play the Pop Emporium, you know, great, uh, you know, you have a, a, a ton of uh, mid-century, uh, uh, you know, kind of stuff. And Our next show is December 9th with uh, Peter Jesperson, who managed The Replacements sure. and wrote a book. So uh, he's going to uh, do his book thing, and Tommy Stinton and the Cowboys in the Campfire are going to play Outstanding, man. With members of Deer Tick. Right on, man. Keep, yeah. Keeping the flame alive. I love it, man. Well, uh, thank you so much, Darren. Uh, thank you. As always, uh, on the Trouble Men podcast, we like to say trouble never ends. But the struggle continues. Good night. Good night. <laughs>